0: Hello, 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 you're listening to Big Easy Ideas, a podcast that features live recordings from New Orleans Entrepreneur Week and builds connections at the intersection of innovation and culture. New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, or NOE, as the locals like to call it, is an annual event across the city of New Orleans every March and is a celebration of startups, innovation, entrepreneurship, and what's next. Learn more and check out ways to get involved at neworleansentrepreneurweek.org or n-o-e-w dot And now, on to today's episode.
1: I'm Valeria Ali, Strategic Marketing Associate at The Idea Village. I hope you're enjoying season four of Big Easy Ideas, Entrepreneurs. In this episode, titled Food and Hospitality Tech, the conversation is led by Dan Meth, an active mentor at The Idea Village and a startup founder himself, who introduces himself and his SaaS startup, in jest. Dan goes on to introduce Elizabeth Tilton, the founder of OS Benefits, Andrew Peterson, the founder of Bluefin Data, and John Johnston, the founder of Trayaway. Each entrepreneur provides more details about their respective companies. Following that, the conversation delves into exploring how food reaches our tables, essentially discussing the process and system of the food and beverage industry, and highlighting the importance of technology in this industry in today's world. I hope you enjoyed today's episode.
2: So first and foremost, my name is Dan Meth, I am the co-founder and CEO of Ingest. Ingest is a data management and analytics platform specific to the food and beverage industry and basically what we do is we connect all of the disparate data sources and systems that hospitality operators rely on on a daily basis to sort of make sense of all of that highly valuable data that they generate. Andrew, I'll start with you, if you don't mind just taking a minute, introduce yourself and your company.
3: Sure. My name is Andrew Peterson, and I'm with Bluefin Data. And I'm at the top of the chain as he he spoke. We do data collection on fish. We are the ones collecting data from the fishermen, from the dealers, about the product and how it was sourced and essentially where that product goes. Generally, this information is used by fishery managers to understand the fishery and make sure that we're fishing in a sustainable manner. But also this data gets populated down the supply chain, so if you've ever seen like a QR code on, on the uh, product that you're buying, you scan it, sometimes you can see a story behind it or you can see a, a chain of where it came from. A lot of times that data is sourced from the first processor or the actual fishing vessel itself. Great, right, thanks
2: so much. Elizabeth.
4: Yes. Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Tilton. I am the founder and CEO of Oyster Sunday and OS benefits. Boise Sunday is a corporate office for independent restaurants, so what we do on a daily basis is we do financial analytics, data management, investment decks, marketing, branding, operations, HR, really kind of being the corporate office for independent restaurants coast to coast, and we've worked with hundreds um, to date, everything from hotels and restaurants and bars and wineries, you name it. And then we, as hearing a lot of um, needs throughout our consulting over the course of last three, I guess three plus years now, geez. We have actually built OS benefits, and what that is is a marketplace that connects independent operators around the country to benefits for their teams, so telemedicine, um, catastrophic insurance, dental care, because it will come at no surprise that it's an enormous need um, for a lot of operators who are unable to make that viable for their teams but want to.
5: Great. Thanks so much. And Josh? Yes, uh, Josh Johnson, CEO and co-founder of Trayway. We provide food and beverage technology to luxury hotels all around the world. So definitely further down the supply chain, uh, in the hotels actually, for guests, they can order through our platform. So think of similar to like a a Uber Eats or DoorDash experience, but in the comfort of your luxury hotel room. And then we also do uh, tracking on everything as far as the delivery within the property. So it really helps with efficiency and the guest experience.
2: Great, and so like I was saying before, One of the great things about the full vertical is that you have all of these directly adjacent stakeholders, all of whom have their own unique and highly valuable value propositions and data sets, but very interrelated... Uh, sort of dependencies and pain points as well. And so, you know, the reason that we've sort of settled on the the red snapper today was because originally when we were taking a look at the makeup of the the panel, you know, we said, all right, so we've got a fish data company. We have a marketing and branding firm for hospitality groups. And we have a hospitality hardware company. How are we going to MacGyver our way through this? But in relative short Order, we were able to see that there is this very pronounced common thread, and so starting at the at the top of the chain, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about maybe one of the the most sort of acute or pressing problems or pain points for that sort of supplier persona within the the F&B vertical right now? And not only how the problem or pain point impacts them, but how you see that pain point sort of trickling down to some of the other adjacent stakeholders within the vertical as well.
3: Sure, sure. So the biggest challenge that we have is a lack of trust between the industry and the agencies that regulate the fishery. Because you get a lot of conflict between the fishery managers that need data to make their decisions on limits and how we're catching these fish. But then you have the industry that needs to be able to provide the data to the agency. So a lot of times there's a lot of conflict between, hey, I want to give you data, or at least the agency that needs data can't get the data that they need from the industry. And a lot of the times, there's a saying in the fishing world where it's like the best available science is used. And so even if no science is available or no data is available, they have to use what what they have at their fingertips to base their decision. So a lot of times there's a lot of miscommunication, there's a lot of mistrust between the two parties. And so really where that comes down to, it, it has ripple effects down the supply chain because if you improperly manage a fish, well, then it will never get into the supply chain, at least not through the U.S., And so that's why it's really key to start building these bridges between the industry and the agency so that they can actually collaborate a lot better than they have in the past.
2: And in the spirit of Red Snapper, can you perhaps speak a little bit
3: to some of the potential issues around Red Snapper? Yeah, so Red Snapper is a very political topic because you have a lot of push and pull between what individuals are seeing out on the water versus the agencies that have more of a higher view on things. And so in in the extreme example that we talked about is a lot of fishermen go out to reefs to catch red snapper and they see nothing but red snapper. Well, red, it just so happens that red snapper are attracted to reefs. And therefore, even if you have all the fish, all the red snapper at one reef, that doesn't necessarily mean that the overall population is doing well. You have to take in the whole account of where the fish is on the other side of the Gulf of Mexico, how it's doing over there, not just in one particular reef of Venice.
2: Gotcha. So sort of like abundance versus the perception of abundance. And so Elizabeth, once that responsibly sourced red snapper makes its way through the the fishery, through the the purveyor, the distributor, into the restaurants that we all love going to, what are some of the challenges currently being faced by restaurant operators, front of house, back of house, all those people that we depend so heavily on to prepare the food uh, and serve the food?
4: There's many impacts in the business that happens. But I would say I'm going to spend most of our time talking about the human side of what's going on in restaurants. because I think it's something that we have to talk about. But in terms of just literally the physical, like you get the fish, there's inventory, there's the cost of it, cost of foods going up, how that gets priced on menus, how that gets handled, all that's going to impact the business, everything from how the even menu mix, as we talk about, and the product. Um, but I would want to spend most of the time on this because it kind of connects back to the benefits. Is that really what's happening? Is not only is it a great product that's coming to market, but that needs to be handled correctly. And one thing we're having in this industry is a really issue with um, recruitment and retention. When a lot of people, particularly during COVID, had to ask the question, like, why? Why are we doing this? Question compensation versus their own health. For many years, they're at odds. So I think right now, what we're coming against is that we can still get great fish. But, like, how many restaurants is it responsible to be serving that? How much labor do we have to really justify the training associated with cleaning it correctly, prepping it correctly, having the consistency to get out on your plate every day? So I think those are things that we're really mindful of on our side. And also the impact on a P&L. Like, if it's, if it's a premium fish, imagine that Red Snapper is, the price goes crazy up people are going to make choices of whether or not to continue to keep it on their menu. They may have to choose Arctic char or another fish variety. So I think all of those really impact the business.
2: Gotcha. And so we've now had the fish making its way through the kitchen out into the dining room, or Josh, in your case, into a guest's hotel room. So can you talk to us a bit about some of the challenges plaguing not only the guest or the consumer, but also those directly responsible for getting their food to them and ultimately removing the food from their rooms as well?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll kind of piggyback on what you said, is that I think one of the biggest challenges, at least for luxury hotels, but probably across the industry, uh, is just the short staffing right now and the retention or the challenge that of uh, you know, pre-pandemic, I kind of put people in hospitality in two groups. Uh, people that loved it, they're passionate about it, they're excited about it, and then the other group is just people that kind of fell into it for one reason or another. And once they kind of fell into hospitality for whatever reason that was, they got comfortable and they never really considered an alternative. And then the pandemic forced them to think about alternatives. And the next thing you know, they found another way to create an income to, for their self, for their families, decided not to go back to those hospitality jobs once they became available. And so, you know, maybe five years ago, people were looking at technology as ways to cut back on staff. Now people are looking at technologies as ways to just you know, get the experience going because they don't have the staff that they actually need. So thinking of Red Snapper, for example, in many hotels, even today, you're in a five-star hotel, you pick up the phone, you call down to place that order. You said Red Snapper, they thought you said Trout. Who knows how you can make that mistake, but it could happen. So with our technology, you can clearly order online through the platform. There's no, no questions, uh, no mistakes through that verbal order. And then once the red snapper is prepared and it's heading up to the room, we provide tracking on the back end. So hence the name Trayaway, that's our original core product, where that came from. So you're staying in a Ritz-Carlton, you're done with your red snapper. You literally click a button, it sends a wireless signal to the hotel staff that hey, I'm done, I'm ready for someone to come and and remove it, because the alternative is someone just puts it out in the hall. And then, you know, this young lady checks into a beautiful hotel, sees someone red snapper in the hallway that's been there for six hours, and that's not a great experience. So. And so now, Josh, you've sort of taken us into the portion of the conversation where
2: we're talking about how our respective products, companies, services, solutions work in concert with each other to help promote a more viable, responsible, sustainable, and profitable food and beverage industry. So, Andrew, going back up to the top of the, of the chain, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about what sort of benefit Bluefin Data provides not only to your core audience, how some of those benefits are then realized or experienced by the rest of the stakeholders within the vertical?
3: Sure. So, our core benefit is government is very complex. If anybody's ever tried to file their own taxes, they would know how difficult it can be. And fishermen... Like I mentioned before, fishermen and government don't typically get along very well. And therefore, in any agency that is trying to talk to a fisherman, most of the time they don't listen. Um, and so really we, in a way, are a translator. We understand the complex requirements. We put them into software that is easy to use system for the fishermen to use. And so our biggest benefit is we streamline the reporting process for fishermen. And the ripple effects is that once you enter it into our system, now we can connect it to A, the agencies that need the information, but then we can start connecting it to other companies and streamlining the process to provide that data to say a traceability supply chain that gives them better value for the product that they're selling. And so like some name brands like Whole Foods require some type of data collection just to be able to sell their product to that entity because they then want to market that to the consumer to say, hey, look, we know where this fish was sourced, we know it was done in a sustainable way, and therefore having it start at the very beginning where the fisherman is entering the information, we can not only streamline the process for them, but we can also provide a better value for the product that they're selling.
2: That's fantastic. And so, Elizabeth,
3: moving further down, can
2: you share a bit about how both Oyster Sunday and OS benefits are contributing, you know, meaningful, tangible value to everyone on that operational level. And then again, as I asked Andrew, how some of those effects then ultimately lead to improved experience for, for guests or others within the space as well.
4: We exclusively work with independent businesses, so it usually runs around one to seven locations and one thing for us is that, you know, being independent, it's an important, really important voice in the industry. And so what we're trying to do is that and every single team has unbelievable strengths. So you have an exceptional operator, an exceptional chef, but they may not be a CMO or a CFO. And then we're really able to come in, support them at the corporate level and really fill in those gaps that they may have, or blind spots, I should say. So I think that we are basically able to make these businesses sustainable and viable for them to continue on for decades to come versus, and as we know, real estate's getting more expensive, labor's getting more expensive, so the margin's getting thinner. And so we find ourselves to find the efficiency to be able to support them. And I think what really happened was we're getting a lot of increase in about HR and compliance and trying to find financial models to then make benefits viable. So we built the benefits program. What we're seeing is really it's a it's a marketplace where you can come in and purchase what you need. And so what we're doing is making it available to any operator in the United States because we can basically find scale, the economy of scale, negotiate on their behalf. That every all of us so always say we're always like these small pirate boats out, out in the ocean trying to find each other, and instead we're trying to, like, all row in the same direction. With a more unified voice, I think we will be able to protect our teams, recruit, retain, train, and really build the next generation um, by taking care of the whole human. So that's really what we're out to do.
2: And Josh, you already shared a bit about sort of uh, the core value propositions or the, the core functionality and some of the ancillary functionality of the platform. But can you speak briefly to the added benefit to both the consumer and also to the operator as well?
5: Yeah. So um, just starting with the consumer or the guest in that luxury hotel. So first and foremost, most people don't want to pick up a phone, right? They already have a phone. They'd rather place an order through that option. Um, And so that's a much more enjoyable experience for them. Uh, It's also increases the efficiency on the back end. And the same thing for the staff on the back end, having the technology to know what's happening upstairs. That's one of the tricky parts about that part of a hotel experience is trying to manage what you can't see. And basically our technology gives them visibility throughout the entire property that they don't have elsewhere. Literally 99% of hotels are using pen and paper for that part of the operation. And so uh, that's our biggest competition is just changing uh, what's no longer working.
4: I always joke that in the hospitality industry, people have an allergy to technology, and I think we're in a moment right now where that is changing in a really great way, and I think the more that companies like Ingest and integrate, you know, technology in our business is going to be easier for both the operator and really for the user experience as well.
3: Just to piggyback off that, I mean, same thing, government agencies, they love pen and paper, they love old processes. and so trying to manage our fisheries on those legacy processes just isn't an effective way to do it. And I mean, what they're trying to do is not easy too. We're trying to count fish here. They're invisible and they move. So we definitely need technology to help us solve that problem.
2: And I, I totally agree. I think that right now is, is an exceptionally uh, exciting time for leveraging technology in meaningful ways within the greater hospitality industry. And not only is it an exciting time, but I can't think of a more exciting place to be building hospitality and F&B related technology companies. You know, I I moved here two and a half years ago. My first day here, my neighbor presented me with a T-shirt that said, New Orleans is my favorite restaurant. And so, as a city that is not only known for, but revered for and defined by, it's hospitality and it's food. I personally can't think of many other places more appropriate and more significant to be building these companies, these technologies, these platforms that promote a more viable, sustainable, and profitable future for an industry that has historically existed on extinction economics. So quickly, starting with you, Josh, one of the greatest things or the, the biggest benefits to building a hospitality technology company in New Orleans and also one of the, the biggest challenges associated with it.
5: Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it already. I mean, this is such an amazing hospitality city in and of itself. And then as it relates to our startup world, Although it's a city, it does have a very small town feel, the community. I mean, you walk through these halls today, and so many people you recognize and have worked with in the last few years, and I think that community and that synergy is, is unique. Now, I've not built a company in, in other major cities, so I don't have a lot to compare it to, but I've got to believe that there's something special about that connectivity that we have here. Fantastic. Andrew?
3: We love our food, and we're not afraid of a fight. So I think one of the benefits that we have is we will stand up for what we love, And um, I I would say one of the drawbacks could be the resistance to change. I mean, having that mindset of, like, I am willing to fight no matter what does have a downside of I've already kind of set my mind and not willing to change. So I think a good healthy balance of the two, I think, will be uh, beneficial.
2: Fantastic. And although our light has turned red, Elizabeth.
4: I'll be brief. I'm a New Orleanian to my core, born and raised here. My brother's actually even sitting in front of me. Hi, Hi, Scott. But I think for me, it's more of like I, I came back here. I lived in New York, got my professional acumen there at Momofuku and other restaurant groups. And I knew to my core when I launched, I would come here. I launched... In New York, the day before I moved to New Orleans because I wanted to launch there and build here. And I just think I couldn't imagine not giving back to community that made me who I am um, in a way New Orleans has done for me. So it was not even a question.
2: Fantastic. And to close, one of my favorite things that I heard when I moved here and sort of decided to replant the ingest corporate flag and claim that we are now a New Orleans-based company is someone said to me, you are the proverbial levy system for the industry that this city has come to rely on. And I think that each and every one of you up here today plays a really critical role in not only protecting what makes the industry, specifically the industry here in this city, so special, but also best positioning it to remain so special for years and generations to come. So we're a minute 40 over. That's not bad by my standards. Thank you all so much. (laughs) Have a good day.
0: Thank you for listening to Big Easy Ideas. Big Easy Ideas is produced by The Idea Village, a nonprofit accelerator that supports startups and cultivates entrepreneurial talent in New Orleans and the greater Gulf South region. By visiting ideavillage.org, you can learn more about how to turn your idea into a thriving business and how to turn your business into a high-growth startup. You can also learn more about opportunities to invest in startups ways to mentor, partner, and support local industry-leading companies. You might also find a job in our region's thriving tech and startup community. The idea is, it takes a village. So visit ideavillage.org to explore how to get involved in the Gulf South's rapidly growing entrepreneurial ecosystem. The music for Big Easy Ideas is by the Young Fellas Brass Band from their new album Block Party which is available now on all streaming platforms. You can find the Young Fellas Brass Band on the streets of New Orleans and at their website, youngfellasbrassband.com. That's fellas with a Z, young F E L L A Z brassband.com. And of course, we want to give a special thank you to all of the sponsors of New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, in addition to the year-round donors and supporters of The Idea Village, who make this work possible and keep this content accessible to all. And finally, thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you down in the Big Easy. Until next time.